coming up in this episode. Think of how many men are dying from suicide every year. That is so unnecessary, you know. People, especially men, find it really hard to reach out for support. So how do we acknowledge that actually, yes, it is our responsibility. You know, we want our employees to be working to their full potential. Then mm. we also need to know that they're not just a robot. So for me, I was brought up on conversation as the way of you know sharing ideas and and exploring and and all, and all of the beautiful things that i think conversation brings and and i realized that some years ago so in order to come back to myself and who i am i need to bring that back into my life and this yeah. is why the show was born but really perfectionism is such a joy hoover because <laughs> yeah. you if not nothing is going to be perfect because my perception of perfection is going to be different from yours so mm. The Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, unedited conversations with entrepreneurs and startup founders. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Let me just sorry, turn I'm you up. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah, sorry. I was just doing all of the, the technical things I needed to do before uh, before starting to open my mouth. So, sorry about that. That's but okay. um, Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. How have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, yeah, okay. Just busy trying to get shit sorted out. And yeah, you know what it's like. Oh, yes. <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like that's the thing though, isn't it? It's like knowing what to spend the time on that's going to yeah. give you the, the return on investment. So putting the time in things and finding out it didn't work or whatever, it can feel like a kick in the teeth. But, but at the end of the day, like, you know, there, there's always something you can take from it. You know, yeah definitely been through it now i know how that process works like there's a there's a way of yeah, spinning yeah, yeah. it isn't there yeah totally. Yeah. yeah every day is a, every day is a school day for sure. exactly yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah especially in what we do well look thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate it so yeah like i said we have we have hit record we already started i'd like to just get straight into it like there's there's very little ceremony here. apart from one thing that i do ask uh for my guests to do and this is the only thing i'll ask um, of you well actually maybe something small at the end but um it's what i ask everyone to do which is just introduce yourself um introduce your business and then while you're talking on the screen i'm going to be sharing um your linkedin profile and your website so you know you can uh, you can you know explain as much or as, as little as you like about yourself and your business it's, it's entirely up to you so over to you Cool. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Teresa Clark, and I'm the founder um, and the alchemist of the Wellness Revolution. We're a culture and employee well-being company, reimagining the workplace to unleash potential. Um, my background's in mental health. I spent 12 years working for the NHS and charity sector before setting up the business in 2019. And basically, I think that um, the business world is has the power to be a very powerful catalyst for social change and that promoting healthier and happier workplaces is the way that we can kind of really help people manage their well-being and um, perform at their best. Very good. I'm oh, sorry, I just realized I all my messages open. <laughs> what are we showing the screen? Not a good look. It does that every time you open a tab, doesn't it? I think which is really annoying. Oh, no, it didn't do it that time. Okay, who was just done? Yeah. Why, um, why alchemist? So, yeah, everybody always asks me that question, and it seems a bit mystical. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, uh, the explanation is that alchemists are 
um, or were back in olden times, people that transformed energy. And I feel that that's something that really resonates with me because I've had quite a traumatic background myself, which led me to go into working in mental health. Mm. So I've kind of like transformed myself from the inside out. And that's what I do in workplaces is help workplaces transform culture to support well-being and transform that negative energy into positive energy yeah basically yeah i like it it's not it's nice to see people having a bit of fun with their title on linkedin yeah, yeah, yeah. Just boring, the usual stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah i like it it's very good so um so yeah tell me a bit more about how this um this this started you mentioned obviously your, your journey through the nhs working in um what, what were you doing specifically there who what what um type of individuals were you working with was this uh children and young people was it the elderly was there a focus there or was it a bit more broader than that? yeah i actually worked with um people with severe and enduring mental health conditions that yeah. um ended up in secure units when they committed offenses so i spent um many years working in that field with um, i started working with offenders in the beginning and then kind of went into um, designing sort of service design and delivery on scale. So I worked for Barnet Enfield and Haringey Mental Health Trust and used to, first I started working outreach in the community, <laughs> helping people to rehabilitate when they were discharged from hospital. Mm. And then, um, and I also, during that time, I was a, a trustee for an amazing charity called Key Changes that promote positive mental health through music. So they helped people to kind of overcome challenges or just kind of find, I, I think the thing is with mental health is that when we're affected by that, we really lose belief in ourselves. Mm. And so if you think of those people that I used to work with, they have so much stigma attached. Not only do they have mental health condition, but they also have a criminal conviction. So it's very difficult to kind of believe that your life can improve when you have the sort of weight of those things and how society views that so it's obviously very difficult for people to get jobs but not even just you know for them to get an interview but for them to sort of have this the skills because they've been in hospital for a long time so it's really about kind of like finding that thing in that person that you know makes them makes their eyes sparkle mm. and then really kind of you know working with them to to build that self-belief because if we if we believe in ourselves we are we can do anything but obviously self-belief is affected by so many different things so that's yeah. really the work that I kind of built on and then with key changes that was just like an amazing example of how music and creativity can really just sort of you know bring passion back to people's lives and when they're starting to engage in something that really you know sets the fire inside them then it kind of impacts all areas of their life I, then, yeah I, sorry just just really quickly you made me think of something which is i'm a huge believer in that the creative outlets even for people because there are a lot of people that you speak to they're like oh you know i'm not creative like everyone's creative in my opinion and i think even oh, yeah and, and and you know two of the best things i think someone can do if they're feeling a bit that you know in a, in a dark place in their life is one exercise that's a bit of a no-brainer if you can not a, not possible for everyone though so you've got to bear that in mind um and the other is find a creative outlet even if you don't think you're creative give it a go because yeah, it's, ama yeah, it's amazingly therapeutic whether that's yeah. writing something 
or just you know scrawling on a piece of paper getting some clay there's something about it that's that that, that uses our brain in a way that we don't often use um well yeah. if that's not your thing that, that seems to really be quite therapeutic well it kind of is my thing actually because creativity is um one way that we can really build resistance because as you say when we're being creative we're actually using a different part of our brain mm. it makes us more resilient to stress because it enables us to have a different outlet and to build different neural pathways that have a huge benefit in so many areas so actually part of the work that we do with the wellness revolution is a, is a lot around creativity and like whatever oh, really? oh, interesting. because yeah. creativity and also you know for businesses to be successful we need to have people being creative and innovative and yeah so we have to kind of be very intentional about how we create environments because if people are super stressed and they've got huge workloads then the creativity um outlet goes down by a huge percentage mm. so it's really kind of thinking about how you kind of enable people to be creative and and create space for that and and the things that kind of you know can tap into that like team building activities where you're just actually having fun together rather than you know coming together for a specific work thing you know those types of activities and experience well shared experiences are really powerful in actually creating environments that do promote well-being mm. yeah I, I saw a study um not saw a study sorry saw a talk um and from someone a, a while ago now a, a psychologist i think it was talking about the importance of play um in our lives as a whole and um and you know from childhood all the way up into adulthood and how the, the fact that when play sort of dissipates throughout our lives in adulthood as we see see it as childish that that has severe negative impacts on the way that we we maintain relationships and can make new relationships and you know develop our brain and all that kind of stuff and especially for things like creativity focus overall well-being and happiness hugely important and so it's not it's not enough to just go oh yeah well we do staff drinks every friday it's like yeah but what are you doing when you're there like are you are you Putting you activities together, are you encouraging people to compete with one another and form teams and have mm -hmm. fun? You know what I mean. And I, apparently, there's a, a well, you would probably know better than I do, an enormous amount of psychology behind the reasons why that's so yeah, incredibly important and healthy. Yeah, well, if you think, you know, we all have an inner child. You know, mm. We neglect that, and I think when we get to adulthood, we we totally forget about it. But actually, yeah. if your inner child is being neglected, then you're not actually functioning fully as an adult either. And I think I want to sort of go back to a point that you made about old team drinks, you know, like why still are kind of workplaces revolving around, you know, having alcohol as an element. Because yeah. Actually, that's something that we really need to like tackle, I think, as well. Because it is moving away from that. Yeah, yeah. we are moving away. But yeah, I think there is, is still, there is still some... Um, some shifts that need to be made there because yeah, alcohol sure. shouldn't be perceived as you know a way that we play i mean it might might be for some people but you know there's there's lots of other ways that you can foster that same energy without introducing alcohol the problem is that becomes the focal point that's the problem totally. it's and it's like we're going for drinks it's a bit lazy really it is yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it is it's like we're going for drinks as opposed to we're going to go and play pool and we might have a couple of drinks while we're there. Like there's, yeah. there's a very different sort of elements to that. You know, it's like that's the main point of where we're going, not not, not anything else. Yeah, it's super interesting. And you have a background in in the creative arts, as I remember, right? 
So I you do. you have a creative background yourself. So what kind of creativity do you uh, explore and as hobbies and things like that? Uh, so my background is in printed textiles. So I used to be a printer back in the day, many many All right. years ago. Um, and the way that I have like several different creative outlets these days. I mean, I don't print anymore. I would maybe like to go back to that when I've retired or something. But um, I do like I love as in like the screen printing. Yeah, screen printing. Oh like, yeah, I used to love that because I went yeah. to art college and uh, oh, did for, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I dropped out, but <laughs> I was in um, print for fashion, so I sort mm. of specialised in like women's wear. Oh, wow. um, and it was like a really cool degree actually because it's very scientific. So you used to like make all your own dyes, and oh, there was cool. lots of like different printing techniques. So it was like quite. So you have to learn the chemistry of it as well. You have to learn the chemistry of it as well. Yeah. So yeah, it was really really interesting. Um, but my my creative outlets now is like I really like to write and actually I really like creating content I think for me I still get to use my design background with that and mm. um, I think for me that's like a, a really nice way because I sort of thought for a long time especially when I set my business up I was like well yeah that degree was really handy wasn't it but actually it has come in handy quite a lot especially around branding and stuff but I love to dance so I like to go to like dance things and just you know I think that's a really good way like you're talking about exercise I think it's a really good way to kind of express yourself and get rid of some stagnant energy mm. and writing I really like to write as well I don't paint much these days because I think I just I'm just not I just can't associate with it or or I, I would love to do it but it's it's quite a, a time-consuming thing which I yeah. don't have as much time to do now um, but definitely it's something that you can always go back to and I, I tend to go to the odd life drawing class as well I actually really like life drawing oh, okay. not, I don't think I'm that great at it but do you I, know, just... I wouldn't mind doing that again because that that was something as part of my my art course when I was like 18 that I, I think I enjoyed the most was the life drawing side of it because it was there was such an element of unpredictability that I loved like you didn't know what the lighting was going to be like you didn't know the sub what the subject was going to be like the pose that you were going to get the angle you're going to get um and even just exploring with with medium like there you know you could pick up charcoal you could pick up you know pencil whatever there was something quite exciting about that you know um it is something that I do want to get back into but you're right writing is a really interesting one because I think it's a hugely underrated form of expression and creatively for the average person everyone sort of seems to think it's this very unattainable thing everyone can write right you know, like, well presumably uh, the majority of us can write far more than can you know feel confident picking up a paintbrush or something and I feel like there's a missed opportunity for most to express themselves and refine that over time and as a founder especially it's a hugely beneficial skill wouldn't you say oh definitely yeah and I think the more you do it even though maybe you might not believe that you're good at it the more you do it the more you let go of maybe those negative beliefs that says that you're not a good writer and then you just get into it so I think yeah. you know, the more we think about it the harder it is whereas when we just let ourselves write you know even if no one ever reads it it's just about you know that kind of form of self-expression and I think writing and journaling is actually a really good way of getting to know yourself like you mm. know in, um, becoming more self-aware of like what your motivations are you know yeah. why you behave in certain ways like, actually I'm doing this really cool thing at the moment which is um this book I'm reading called Change Your Mind by this guy called RJ Spinner who's like an incredibly um inspiring guy like he had 
um, basically was sort of paralyzed from the neck down and he completely healed himself with like this kind of thing that he created. But I'm reading this book and there's a 14 day kind of journaling prompt. So you basically, everything you do, now it's quite time consuming, but everything you do. So as soon as you get out of bed in the mornings, you write, so say for instance, like maybe this isn't a great example, but you would write like, why do I drink coffee in the mornings? And then mm. it's really interesting because your subconscious answers and then you kind of continue to question yourself and then you realize god why i drink coffee in the morning is not why i thought i drank the coffee in the morning mm. it, it just sort of really you question your motivations clarifies yeah your motivations yeah. which which we don't even really understand because mm. a lot of these things that we do are on automatic that we've probably learned over decades and you know, some of those things we probably don't even enjoy anymore, but we've just kind of got stuck in these sort of habitual patterns. So I, I think it's, I drink coffee now. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really interesting, and you do it, yeah. and you kind of do it with everything. So I've been finding it quite. interesting. I drink decaf as well. Oh, why, the, why the fuck am I drinking decaf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you should try it and just see. Yeah, happens. maybe I should. It's just probably yeah, yeah, a habit, but yeah. it's quite interesting in terms of like, especially with work, like so. You know why do i do certain things in a certain way and it's just mm. sort of like helping me to get clarity around different kind of things that i do or that i have been doing probably unconsciously that i can now transform because i realize the motivation behind why i was doing it mm. that's super interesting yeah i might have to try that you know that's a good food for thought yeah and um what you mentioned there about painting as well so i i don't remember if we talked about this before when we first spoke but I, I i do a bit of painting as well i've just um just converted the outbuilding i've been i've been sort of documenting it on linkedin i don't know if you've been seeing any of my posts about it but me over the last sort of like two months at we weekends trying to convert the outbuilding into my new office because as you can see i'm in my living room um, which isn't ideal with all the comings and goings of people. So I've just come that. And I've made, kept a little space on the side, which I'm planning on turning into like the art studio side. So it's going to be office and art studio because I just I haven't done it for years. And I need to, I've literally got paintings. So let me show you one right, I've got two right next to my desk. They have been here for what, seven years? Something like that. Reminding <laughs> you to finish them. Look, there's one. Still haven't finished it. Oh. Don't finish it, and because I used to do um, a lot of stuff with comic book and superhero, um, science fiction stuff, and, you know all that. But then also like just regular human portraits. They look, see, oh, wow. haven't, still haven't finished it in like seven years. Yeah, I've got, I've got a few paintings like that canvases. I've actually oh, hidden those. now because I'm sick of looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, oh, I've got more. These are the only two that. Well, the worst one is um, uh, I've got a huge portrait I'm doing of. Um, uh, my wife and I's wedding uh, photo. So, because I, I did those for a little bit of friends and family, I did a few wedding portraits, you know, like painted them huge. They gave me a photo and I painted them huge. So, that's the main one because I promised that I would have had that finished a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> we've now been married for like for five years now. So, yeah, yeah, I should probably get going on that one. I think that'd be the first one. Yeah, that'd be your first one to finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably should. But um, a lot of it comes down just to, you know, yeah, not having the mental headspace for it, like you said, the time and feeling like it's not a priority when you, you know, you've got business to run and so on. But also, I, I, for me personally, it's having the right physical space to do it. Yeah. Totally. You know, I, I need to feel like I can just, you know, 
you know, what's the word, like spread out, you know, and just, you know, be, be not have to worry about, oh, I need to tidy this up later, yeah. and I, you know, all yeah. this, because if I do it on the living room table, it's like, okay, I have to set it all up and then I have to put it all away. And it doesn't feel like a creative space. It's too temporary, you know, you know. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that I'd find is I'd get all my paints out and I'd get really into it and then I'd have to tidy it all away and then, yeah. then I just couldn't be asked to get it all back out again. So, yeah, I and I totally understand. And I think as well, you know, when you do sit down and do it, you you know, that creativity is such an amazing way to access a flow state. So mm. once you get over your initial resistance and you put some tunes on and you get into it and you think, oh, yeah, I actually remember how to do this and I'm enjoying it. You know, you you just don't really care about anything else than yeah. what you're doing. And, and that in itself, you know, is such a freeing state. Absolutely. But then but on the flip side, what I found is that there are well, there's two things that like sometimes <clears throat> when I did have a, a setup for it previously, there'd be days where I'm like, I just want to go and do 10 minutes. And I just go and do 10 minutes on a little piece. I'm like, okay, and I'll come back to the rest tomorrow or whatever. Like just the ability to be able to do that. But then equally, sometimes sitting down and saying, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, okay, I've got three hours. I can sit down and, and do three hours. And I'll sit down and half an hour in, I'm like, I'm just not feeling it. Mm -hmm. And walk away. Now, both of those scenarios where you've got to set everything up and put everything away, not ideal. <laughs> you, know, no, exactly. you can't do that. Like, no. you know, so to be able to just dip in and out of something too is is kind of my thing. You know, it's my vibe and the way I, I do things. I mean, you know, with, with certain things, I'm a bit chaotic. With other things, I'm very strict and organized. And that's one I prefer to have a bit more chaotic, but yeah. in, an, in, a, in an organized way, which allows yeah. me to be chaotic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, spontaneity, I think it's... Right, that's the word I'm looking for, yeah. Yeah, we like to call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because if you get the creative urge, you... And I think that's the thing that we talked about. You know, you can't be like, right, now you need to be creative. You right. have to create that environment and that space that allows you to to get those ideas and things and feel in a good place to be able to then execute on it. Exactly. Yeah. Like going to the gym and stuff like that. You know, it's the same yeah. sort of thing, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Well, hopefully I'll get back into it and finish those bloody paintings. But um, yeah, so so um so what kind of stuff do you do with the so you mentioned you do sort of uh, creative well actually no, sorry, let's I'm I'm jumping ahead a bit. So let's let's go back again then to a little bit to my original question, which is sort of about you know, you coming up through working with the NHS, so working with offenders, which by the way, must have been a very difficult um job like you know what were you doing exactly working with them were you working them with very much one-on-one -on -one? was that solo were you part of a wider supportive team like what that what did that sort of look like uh yeah so at first i was doing i um ran a service which was an intensive 48 hour service so what what i would do is i would meet um <clears throat> people when they got discharged at the gates generally one-on-one -on -one, but I had a team of volunteers that I trained to okay. because it we were working on basically all the London prisons so you, there's quite a lot actually there is quite a lot of London prisons mm -hmm. so um we would go to meet them at the gates and we'd make sure that we had a lot of paperwork because most people when they're discharged they're homeless so we'd need to take them straight to the homeless person's unit, but we'd have to have kind of like backup from the mental health inreach team in the prison if they'd been um, if they'd been assessed, because a lot of times people would go in and, and be on the list to get assessed, but because the um, duration was short, they would kind of like fall through the gaps of services. Right. So our role was to basically make sure that we had um, 
you know, some contact with the in-reach team. So if there was an assessment or a diagnosis, medication, that we could then go to the homeless person's unit and show that the person was sort of in an emergency need for accommodation yeah. and then help them get housed. Um, I'd like, we'd set up the first meetings with the benefits and, you know, making sure that they had like the basic sort of foundational needs to um, survive mm. first. Um, and that uh, the project started for three years and it was really successful and it got extended. Um, but it was just, it was a really, sh it was a shame in, in a lot of ways. And I used to find it quite frustrating, but because of, because of our funding, it was really limited to 48 hours. So mm -hmm. we'd be able to maybe, because there's not a lot you can do in 48 hours, to be honest with you. I mean, housing, maybe we'd get some temporary accommodation, but then they'd need to kind of produce more paperwork and there'd be other stuff. So we tend to kind of getting the ball rolling on a lot of things, yeah. imagine, but you don't really know the outcome. So we tend to kind of extend it for about three <laughs> weeks so that we could sort of get them like into the right things that they needed. And then mm. we'd kind of just sort of have to leave them, which was, you know, a bit of a shame really, because people need a lot more support than that. Yeah. And then, um, after the three years, I then went into um, working with um, Barnet, Haringey and Enfield um, Forensic or North London Forensic Service. And that's when um, I kind of developed a service of supporting people when they got discharged from hospital. So doing a lot of assessments. So I do like an initial assessment with people and then sort of find out you know exactly what they wanted to do but it was very much focused around employment education and training so um during that time i started to develop like an expert by experience role so i trained up um people who were kind of ready and, and wanted to do something like that so that they could train um so we did a lot of stuff with the royal college of psychiatry west london university we sent people in to help train mental health nurses on like how people um like per through like sort of person-centered approaches to um support and then when i went into work actually at, at chase on hospital i um set up and developed a, a recovery college which was based which is basically looking sort of moving away slightly from the medical model where you um have a psychologist and then you have a person who's um experienced depression and they create they sort of co-produce or co-create a course together which people would come to and they'd hear kind of you know the the medical approach or psychology sort of recommendations for depression you know what it is like the symptoms you know some some ways that you can manage it but then you'd also hear from somebody who had a lived experience of that mm. and it was really really successful but it was you know incredibly powerful because it gives people a lot more agency to you know manage their own condition and shows them that you know there is life beyond this the sort of situation and the circumstance that they find yeah. In. and you know to be able to kind of upskill people with you know expert by experience was like hugely powerful because people would get paid for doing this work and you know it really give them sort of like like we talked about again sense of self-belief and confidence and mm. you know, the fact that all those years that they'd spent 
you know, going through those challenges hadn't been in vain because actually then they could now start to share their experiences and, and help others on their own recovery journeys. So that that was hugely successful and just, you know, really gave me a lot of knowledge and kind of wisdom in terms of, you know, what works, what doesn't work and, and really how that approach is just much more powerful than someone being told here's the medication you know this is what you should do because you know again it I know some medication is powerful and some people you do, do really need that but I don't think it solves the problem because I think that's half of the issue is that we need practical tools and techniques and you know understanding how our minds work and how we can you know support ourselves to enhance our well-being and I think that that's really kind of lacking and and this way kind of really helps that and and I sort of brought that into what I do at the wellness revolution as well of, of like really kind of understanding like how to make it more accessible to people and what people really kind of want to hear and you know what they resonate with because if we don't resonate with something we're not engaged with it then yeah we're not gonna you know take it forward so how so you say you've translated a lot that wealth of experience by the way which is and and presumably very difficult work so more power to you and and thank you for doing it but um so you've taken that work and then you've translated it like you said into into the wellness um revolution well sorry what is it well-being the wellness revolution. wellness revolution sorry well-being <laughs> wellness revolution um, so what does that look like, practically speaking, when you're working with, uh, you, do you go directly with the companies, are you working directly with employ employees, like what, what does it look like as a whole, like get, paint a picture so we can understand. Yeah, so I'll paint a picture, so, <laughs> so first of all, it kind of really starts, starts with um, consultancy, right? to find out kind of, you know, what, what are the issues in the organisation, you know, what, what would the organisation like to you know give to their employees like what are they looking to achieve in terms of well-being you know what's already been in place like how successful has that been like where are the knowledge gaps and then the thing that we really sort of pride ourselves on is that we create bespoke programs or services for that organization because obviously not a one-size-fits-all mm. organizations are very different cultures are very different you know some people some places might be really good at this but not really good at that and it's just sort of like looking at all the components so first of all you know well-being is multifaceted um as well particularly in the workplace because it's you know not just our mental and physical health it's you know the conditions of our work it's leadership it's you know play like we talked about creativity communication um workload you know there's so many different factors that influence an individual's well-being so we really kind of take a look at that and start to sort of deconstruct it and then create something that is gonna you know support that organization to create those foundations sort of after we've gone so different ways that we do that is between sort of you know helping them to create strategy like well-being strategies um looking at leadership and you know areas 
where training is needed or kind of a redesign of training because leaders these days need many many different skills than they used to mm -hmm. and you know leaders are kind of expected now to be well-being experts counselors you know this that, and the other but they don't mm -hmm. actually have had the training for that and not everybody who goes into a leadership role is actually a people person you know normally people then sort of you know get promoted into leadership roles because they're actually good at their jobs but it doesn't mean to say they're good with people so it's really kind of looking at that as well and sort of how to create more conscious leaders that you know are in are equipped to deal with the many different things that come up in organizations and also to understand you know emotional intelligence in a way of like how much they you know how much they influence the people that work underneath them mm. so if you're super stressed all the time then chances are your team is going to be super stressed all the time because emotions are contagious you know happiness is you know you hear that saying happiness is contagious well it is but mm. negative emotions are contagious so if, if you've got you know an issue with burnout and stress in your organization that tends to kind of filter down to everybody and so it's really about kind of you know becoming aware of like what those issues are and then how you can be very intentional about how you design the employee experience and the culture around that because essentially culture is just like you know us like culture is the the behaviors and the actions and the belief systems that you repeat over time so if you've got a dysfunctional culture which unless you're being intentional about it you know you will have an element of a dysfunctional culture because you know without that intentionality it's difficult to to craft it in the way that you would like it to be for you know the benefit of your employees and your business so it's really about kind of you know showing people how that works and you know th we help design things like team rituals which sort of in, you know really help people to cultivate cultures of well-being and you know understanding all the layers that come with that and that it's not you know just getting a mental health first aider in like i really am not a fan of that approach at all um because what is that approach uh, so you might not, you might have heard of it, you might not. I mean, it's quite. quite I no, I heard of it. So mental health first aiders is like a accredited two day course where you can go on and your company will send somebody to be a mental health first aider, and so they would be a point of contact within the organisation that, you know, just a bit like a first aider but for a mental mm. health first aider. But there's so many things that come with that. I mean, two day course. Mm. You can't, really train somebody to support people with mental health you can give them some basic information but you can't really give them you know the full expertise of of you know that and also it's, it's a lot of you know heavy lifting for that person so if you've not got anything in um, place you know when I worked for the NHS everybody had clinical supervision because you're working with you know a lot of stuff and you you also need to kind of process that but what happens in organizations is you know they they think oh you know this is a this is a credited thing we can sort of tick that box of mental health in our organization but there's several reasons why it doesn't work and there's a lot of evidence out there to show that it doesn't work there, there, there have been a lot of studies one is because there's a kind of like re-stigmatization i think that happens with the mental health first data there is still so much stigma around mental health in the workplace, in society, bigger in ourselves, that 
if we kind of see somebody labeled as a mental health first aider and we have a stigma which most people do we're not going to approach them because we're going to feel like you know they're maybe they're already you know got their eye on us because they don't think we're okay or you know and it just sort of I, I feel like it just sort of creates a more segregation around it what we need to be doing is creating cultures where we are encouraging people to talk about how they feel, you know, check like daily check-ins or if, especially if you're a remote team and things like that. So, but then also the person who's the mental health first aider, they're not getting support from the organization. So, you know, it just, I just don't think it's, it's the solution at all, but I think the problem is, you know, business are always looking for a quick fix and they just think, oh yeah, we'll send. And I'm sure there are companies that are doing it really well and that they do have support for their mental health first aiders. And, you know, it it does work in, in, a, in a sense, but it doesn't solve the cultural problems and it doesn't mm. solve, you know, those bigger issues around, you know, are our workloads too high? Like, are, you know, are our managers toxic? Is our culture toxic? Why are people's mental health being affected by work? What's going on outside? You know, how how are people, you know, what's going on in people's lives? Do we actually really know our people? Mm. You know, not everybody wants to share everything that's going on in their life. But if you have, you know, a close culture, then, you know, really you should be thinking about, you know, getting to know people like, you know, who they as, who they are as a whole, not just, you know, Dave in accounts, who he is in that role. So, mm. I think there's there's a lot that needs to be kind of you know unlearned around that and you know not looking for quick fixes and ticking box exercises but that's quite common isn't it i mean i wanted to ask you about this as well um like how, how is business and what i mean by that question is we we all know that there's there's waves of of what you know organizations consider to be important right uh, it, cha it sh changes year on year, um, and consultancy is usually one of the the main areas. Like I, I know myself as an ex consultant, I don't consider myself a consultant now, so I don't work in that capacity as much. It's more one on one, but I, I know myself firsthand that that's very very much how it goes. That you know, one year it's a very hot topic to get a diversity inclusion uh, consultant in, for example, talk about that. Another it's wellness, another it's, you know, sales training, another it's management training. And it kind of goes up and down and depends on the issue at hand, you know, sustainability and, you know, being eco-friendly and kind of, there's always these sort of waves that happen. So how are things right now in that sense, which is why I'm asking, you know, how is business? Is this still a very much a, a topic uh, that, that businesses are wanting to grapple with and they, they still consider it to be important? Or is it seen still to be a bit of a nice to have? Yeah, I think it was, from my experience, I think it was more on the agenda last year. Right. And I think this year... Oh, well, fairly we, soon after COVID, you think? Well, yeah, but I think this year as well, we've seen, you know, the beginning of the year, January, there was a lot of layoffs in a lot of companies. You mm. know, companies like Google, they even got rid of their mental health and wellbeing director, I think. So, wow. You know, there's been a lot of layoffs at the beginning of the year, which is still sort of impacting organisations. So they've had to shift budgets and, you know, lots mm. of sort of changes have happened. It's still definitely, you know, people are wanting to. And I think especially like what I'm seeing is more especially around consultancy. You know, how do we kind of deal with these issues that are going on in our culture and, and make, um, you know, our employees happier? Because obviously unhappy employees is you know low pro productivity it's absenteeism it's you know affects a lot of business objectives kpis and imperatives so it 
I think it is being seen as much more, you know, not a nice to have. It's a very important thing. Mm. But, you know, are people spending as much money as they did last year? Not, I don't think so much. And not just, I'm not just seeing that kind of in my business, but I see it in sort of other well-being businesses as well. Um, I think there's sort of some shifts around what, like we design um off sites and deliver retreats and i think that's becoming more of a focus point of you know understanding that you know maybe some of the well-being things that have been offered in the past because of the nature of the organization workloads you know especially if you've had layoffs then people are doing more work than they were before mm -hmm. so you know some of those things people aren't really getting time to access or even if they do it's you know they're so burnt out that you know it's just not really maybe a good spend because the cultural issues that are impacting that but i think off-sites and retreats are especially for remote teams you know they're a really great way to bring teams together to promote well-being to promote mm -hmm. team building to actually you know be together without the stress of like the everyday monotony of work and they actually are very very impactful so i think there's there's a real shift around organizations you know also wanting to be back in the office too and wanting to do more kind of shared experiences together and the impact that that actually has on culture on employee well-being and on performance so I think there's definitely a shift around that and I'm sort of seeing more like inquiries for next year and you know how people can sort of start building that into budgets now mm. um you know workshops and webinars will always be a thing I think especially when it's to do towards a a certain kind of date coming up like world mental health day oh you know what should we do for this let's do this mm. so I think there is um and I think coaching is becoming much more kind of recognized as well of an, a really important um, offering for, you know, employees to, to really kind of reach their potential. Sorry, that was my dog. Um, every time I record, every time I record, I don't know, can you hear him? Yeah. Uh, yeah, every time. Um, yeah, no, that's, you just listed off quite a few different things there, you know, coaching, these sort of retreats and things like that. So, so out, you know, you, you presumably you just do the more the consulting and the workshop side of things. Is that right? Or do you also offer these other elements like the sort of uh, the coaching and the, the retreat side of things? And, and so Yeah, on? so I'll, I'll just give you sort of a rundown of like what our services are. So in consultancy, that would be like strategies and kind of looking at employee experience. I'm going to bring up your website while you're explaining this because I, I just realised I forgot to show it. Yeah, my web, our website needs updating a little bit actually, but um, we also create playbooks. So we do like leadership playbooks or culture playbooks. So we collect a lot of data and then we produce something that really sort of ties into the culture especially around you know certain things which they're really kind of nice fun effective ways of you know spreading a new message and sort of getting people on board with things and then we do sort of collecting data so we really um do a lot of a lot of insight collection on you know what's going on in the organization around culture well-being performance and how then we can kind of use that data to design something that works for organization we create well-being programs so bespoke programs around um you know delivering workshops uh group coaching sessions different ways to kind of support um learning and we also do the um off-sites and retreats we we design those and 
yeah that's kind of us and, and obviously workshops and webinars are all part of kind of the offering mm. so it sort of really depends on things like we do a really cool remote program which is called winning from home which is um, looking at kind of productivity well-being burnout mindset um energy different ways that like remote workers can kind of foster those things more in their daily life and just sort of you know really educating people around different tools and techniques and concepts that can really kind of empower them and enhance their well-being and also you know really kind of you know impact and also doing those collectively obviously that's another way of team building so mm. it's really interactive and we you know sort of give learning but then kind of get people to sort of try stuff out as well that, um, that's a lot that you cover. So, I mean, in in the... If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe, like, and share your thoughts in the comments. In the, um, well, I mean, it, was it the case that you, before launching the business, sort of sat down and designed the majority of this and you sort of built a framework around this and then sort of went to businesses to offer it? Or is a lot of this kind of developed over time and you sort of added, added a lot on a lot of these additional services or... or, or areas of focus I guess you could say um as you went but is that kind of more the organic route that you went yeah I mean obviously in the beginning I did we did or we did have like a structure of like what kind of things that we wanted to offer and then right. I think over time it's just sort of grown as we've worked with more more um, businesses we've sort of seen different areas where we hadn't you know for instance the playbooks was something mm. that when we were working with client we're like oh this would be really helpful and actually it was really really successful and some and then sort of been something that's become one of our services. Again. Yeah. yeah and the same with the off-sites and retreats um we were kind of really noticing that um it was quite difficult to kind of get you know really high engagement even you know with the internal comms and stuff like that it's particularly for organizations that were you know really kind of overworked and really busy and actually the off-sites and retreats really gave, gave like a different way to get sort of more engagement but also just allow that space for people to come to something and really mm. you know absorb learning and, and different ideas and different ways of working and create that together you know having that space to have conversations and take part in activities and start to think outside the box of what the daily kind of grind of of work is because not a lot of change happens when we're just sort of stuck in the sort of consistent mm. cycle of you know fighting fires and being reactive to you know whatever's coming our way and so it can be really hard to even if you are you know offering a one-hour well-being workshops that that's really high quality the chances are that people that aren't going to get engaged with it fully fully especially if you're doing it online because you know mm. they might be doing other stuff in the background they want to see it but you know it's just you know if you don't create the space for people to be able to actually come and, and relax and enjoy something then it's not going to be super beneficial so it's yeah. really, environment matters hugely doesn't oh, it? Hugely, yeah. even in someone's office like they're probably going to be sat there or some of them might be sat there thinking i've got so much to do <laughs> you know I've got so much to do but really actually having a day away or yeah. half a day away it's like okay this is what we are here for totally. that's a huge impact yeah 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 really. so yeah. it sounds like an incredibly bespoke and uh and, and very um very detailed process so um so during um 
Well, I wanted to ask your opinion on something. So, so do you find what, what's your opinion on the idea that, um, or, or where the line is with where that there should be intervention in, in, in regards to mental health? So, you know, we know, like you've put laid out there, there's a lot of different areas that, that affect someone's well being in the workplace. There's a lot of factors happening at home in personal relationships and maybe family life or, you know, financial situation. It could be lack of hobbies. It could be all sorts. And, I, and, and I've often had this debate with people where um, in this line of work um, where it's difficult to know where the line is in terms of what is appropriate to, to start, you know, giving advice on or, or where to start, you know, tinkering. Because at the end of the day, it's a workplace. People come there to work, earn money and go home. So how much say should an employer really have working with a third party like you or even by themselves um, and or not say, but input should they really have in these areas when ultimately these are people's personal lives? Should we be mixing them up? Do, would you have some, I'm assuming you must have some pretty strong opinions around that and how best to balance that. Yeah, I mean, I do have some strong opinions on it, uh, definitely, because I do think it is a workplace's responsibility to make sure, you know, that employees are happy in the workplace mm. so you know leaving maybe out stuff that's happening in personal life if you've you know it is as as much as it's your responsibility to create an environment like through health and safety that you know you've got good chairs you've got you know fire exits you've got all those things you you also need to be making sure that you are giving as much thought to the psychological safety within your organization and you know what are your pathways for somebody who's in distress what are your pathways uh, to manage conflict resolution what are your pathways to manage? you know there's there's also something that's not really talked about very much i see it a little bit more now but there's a lot of bullying that goes on in workplaces mm, yeah you know the impact that that has on somebody and also i just don't really think workplaces are very equipped to deal with it you know it, go, it gets stuck in hr the person who's being bullied still has to you know be around the bully or you know if it's if it's on a bigger scale than that you know because yeah, the worry is always just are we going to get sued yeah exactly. <laughs> that's so, pretty much the know, only worry handling it from a sort of legal business perspective but we also need to handle things from a human perspective yeah, and yeah, understand yeah. that but you know so yes you know it actually is a really really important factor as a business you know as much as you have to have insurance and things like that you really you know this is something super important and there is an iso i can't remember the exact number of it but there is one around psychological safety i'll share the link so you can put it in when you mm. load the and so any business needs to be looking at the guidelines of that um to kind of build the basis of what they need so you know how are we supporting people we shouldn't really be advising people either unless we have someone specifically trained or we're working with an external organization what what employee benefits do we have you know every company now should have an epa you know that that should be a non-negotiable so you know you, you you should be kind of you know offering we've got six free um counseling sessions available to all of our employees you don't have to contact hr here's the number it's completely anonymous and you know that 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 should be something that every company is offering you know anyway mm. and just really thinking about yes 
obviously if people are going through stuff in their personal life and let's face it you know every everyone is suffering with something you know some people are more conscious of it some people are less conscious of it but everybody is affected by something that's it's all part of being human you know if we were mm. if we were all really positive happy beings all the time we'd be enlightened and we wouldn't be here <laughs> so sure. you know yeah. and then you put a load of unhealed people all in the same environment together you know you're going to have tension there's going to be conflicts there's going to be you know people who are struggling there's going to be a lot of people who can't talk about you know the fact that they're struggling as we talked about you know stigma is a real thing it exists the worst kind of stigma is the internal stigma that stops people getting support and help because they're worried about what other people are going to think of them or they're worried that if they say it out loud it means they can't cope you know it's i think there's especially within our culture there's this very sort of like stiff upper lip type of approach to things like that you know we don't ask for support like you know and that and that i feel that is the 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 workplace or organization's kind of responsibility to create cultures that dissolve those those ways of being because mm. the more you know think of how many men are dying from suicide every year that is so unnecessary you know but mm. people especially men find it really hard to reach out for support so you know we really need to look at culturally you know and it's not just about the workplace it's about how do we start to have more open conversations how do we how do we acknowledge that actually yes it is our responsibility you know we want our employees to be you know working to their full potential then mm -hmm. we also need to know that they're not just a robot that they have emotions that they have feelings that they might have a bereavement that they might lose a relationship that you know and all these factors impact all of us all the time so it's really you can't separate the two you can't separate human beings from work you know they're the mm. it, it has to be and, and that's where I feel that we need a revolution in the workplace in terms of like really humanizing it and understanding that actually and if you look at all the top performing organizations out there the reason why they are like that is because they are human workplaces that look after their people that actually give a shit about their people and they want their people you know to feel good to you know have better relationships with their money to have you know better relationships with their colleagues and they mm. invest in creating you know learning opportunities growth opportunities you know delivering epa you know whatever it is they they look at the environment they want to create and, you know there's so much data out there too you know there's no excuse for you not to kind of understand i and i think that's the big thing as well which which organize organizations really need to kind of you know get more conscious around is that well-being and performance are intrinsically linked you can't have mm. one without the other yep. so we really you know in order to kind of push the needle forward and really sort of change the state of affairs <laughs> we really need to acknowledge like how those two are related and yeah physical and mental health play a huge huge part in it yeah so, and, and not just physical mental health you know i think 
it, we're also looking at emotional health because I think for me, right. mental mental well-being and emotional well-being are almost kind of two separate things. So for me, mental well-being is more like cognition and you know how you how you're performing, you know your productivity, your ability to manage time and like problem solve and make decisions. And then your emotional well-being is obviously very much tied into your emotions, like regulating how you regulate your emotions, like how um, self-aware you are, like emotional intelligence and kind of understanding that you know all of these things are multifaceted and how they all kind of link into each other mm. and you know there is I think we do have like everybody has a responsibility to you know make sure that everybody's okay and mm. we can't we can't turn a blind eye to you know someone suffering just because it's it, it you know we it, it's uncomfortable for us or you yeah. know it's something that we don't really know how to deal with and I think that's half the problem most people you know are very kind-hearted but they just don't really know the right thing to say and so then what happens in our culture is we just avoid it because we just think oh shit I don't want to say the wrong thing it's like anything like pronouns like you know anything around DNI. it's not that we aren't you know not that we don't want to see a change or the the whole doesn't want to see a change I think there's just still this sort of like really weird sort of uncomfortable awkwardness of mm. not wanting to say the wrong things so rather than say the wrong thing I won't say anything which is actually a, which is actually in a lot of ways worse but but in some ways I think there's, there's a slight difference as well in that um part of the reason why people don't often want to talk about the way they feel is because of the, they'll change the way that they're viewed right so not just to say the wrong thing um i mean to, to some degree of what you're saying you know to be seen as a bigot or you know whatever but but more more to like by their employers be seen seen as different than than the way they've previously perceived and maybe potentially lose out on certain opportunities as a result and that's a very real thing yeah like, and, and like i think to understand that what, what we need to, to do first of all is acknowledge that that isn't always out of a place of um of prejudice necessarily like uh or, or what's the word i'm looking for it's not vindictive right it's not it's not inherently um uh, an evil or or, or you know mm -hmm. bad thing to do it is it's quite often just down to simple business that if let's say for example you've got uh you know a certain amount of employees in a team and there's a promotion coming up and out of the two people that you've got um, on the cards to potentially take this this um, this huge promotion with a lot of additional responsibilities, you know, maybe a huge amount of new business potentially sitting on the line, and one of them goes through a bereavement that means that they are in an emotionally fragile place. Well, the business, the employer is going to choose the other, like, and that's just the reality of the situation. They need someone stable. They need someone to get the job done. Like. So, so you can understand why people don't want to communicate their feelings. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the male suicide rate. I mean, you know, as a man, we know this all too well that, you know, and, and for, you know, not to generalize, but, but you know, it, it, is, it is a fairly known fact that men tend to be a little bit more harshly judged on, on expressing their feelings than, than women. Um, again, you know, being general, um, it's not really surprising because you you do get judged by that and you can miss out on potential opportunities for, for raising that so I, and i can't quite see how we can solve that because well, that's that's inherent you know well it is but it's not because and this is kind of what we're talking about it's like in order mm. for it, in order for any of this to change everybody has to play a part in it so yeah. we need to shift the 
And the reason why we all think like that is because there's there's three layers to stigma. So there's institutional stigma, there's social stigma, and then there's self stigma. And so institutional stigma is at the top. So the reason why, and if you think about it like this, let's do, let's have a bit of a history lesson right now. So I think in 1983, the last um, asylum closed. So that's not even quite 40 years, or maybe it's slightly, what we, 2023, that's 40 years. Mm. So if you think of like how much in society in the 80s mental health was stigmatized so we used to send people to asylums that's how much we stigmatized it as a as a society and as a culture mm. and we only closed those down 40 years ago so we're not going to unravel all of that stigmatization within a 40 year period oh yeah absolutely you know, we've yeah, definitely yeah. we've definitely done you know we've definitely made some good head come along yeah, yeah, we've absolutely. come a long way but in all in order to kind of accelerate that and really shift it we need to change those you know first of all government needs to invest more money into you know you look at well when I worked for the NHS and it's quite a long time ago but I know for instance now that it's really there's a huge waiting list to get you know access to therapy there's you know many many people in this country god knows how many but are being prescribed medication mm. you know there's there is you know mental health is a crisis like it's getting worse it's not getting any better so mm. we need to start to invest as a you know governments and you know institutions investing more in actually how we support to change this whereas 40 years ago no money was being invested in mental health or very, very little. And I used to, when I used to train in 40 years, you look at how many advances in um, pharmaceutical treatments for cancer, for, um, you know, degenerative diseases and how many different kind of new ways of managing and treating those conditions are in terms of mental health like within 20 years there was only one new different type of medication created so it's like you know if, if those systems and and it's not just about investment it's also about policy so if the institutions still have a lot of stigma around mental health because they do then we're not changing policies properly we're not really we're we're maybe looking at it from a surface level because it's like oh shit we need to do that mm. but we're not actually really looking at the core of why these things are happening and yeah. how we can actually as a society or as institutions that control society are changing them so it's treating the symptoms rather than the disease right yeah totally and so mm. then obviously social stigma is then impact so then what filters down from the institutions goes into the media so then you know we we pick up a paper oh man with schizophrenia has gone out and stabbed somebody and it creates all this fear and so you know there's still even you know the press nowadays is getting better but i want to use a little example actually maybe i might get i won't say the the organization but i recently did a podcast for a very big broadcasting organization and this it was a talking about my personal story and my own mental health challenges and at the end of the the interview they have like a clip which says 
um, if you've been affected by blah, blah, blah. But it did not mention mental health at one point at all. And so I raised it and said, you know, I think it's really like bad practice that you're not signposting people because if somebody listens to that and, you know, my whole interview was talking about suicide, mental health issues, you know, the effects of these. And so if, you know, a big broadcaster like that isn't taking that responsibility to signpost people, you know, it's mm. a duty of care, isn't it? If you're going to put something out there that could potentially upset somebody, you know, and so it 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 really showed me like how prevalent it still is, and mm. you know, it's our and it's also our kind of responsibility when we see it just like when we see racism just like when we see homophobia we have to call it out so you know and within organizations we have to create those cultures where it's okay to talk about stuff you know everybody is affected by mental health it's not just you know one person's affected by it and not the other yes more kind of severe diagnoses affect less people but actually you know if somebody's unwell and it keeps building over and over and over then they're going to end up with a diagnosis you know that's how you know progressively we get more ill and especially if we don't talk about it so it's really about you know addressing these bigger issues of like understanding how much stigma is prevalent in society how mm. much we can then you know what is our responsibility as an organization and how can we really look at how stigma is impacting our people from speaking up mm. and you know, if we've got leaders role modeling that they're talking about their well-being and they're talking about stress and they're talking about bereavement and things that are affecting them and how they've dealt with anxiety and stress and you know addiction whatever it is then you know it's creating a safety like that psychological safety to show that you know it's not just employees that are affected by mental health everybody is affected by it and then the worst kind of stigma as I say is that the internal stigma so you just talked you know you just the point you raised then just you know really highlighted a lot of those things of you know I can't say that I'm suffering or I can't say that I'm in need because I'm going to be looked at differently well why am I going to be looked at differently because society stigmatizes and there and basically influenced us all to believe that if there's something you know if we're struggling emotionally then we must not be good enough then we must not be able to deliver our work then we're not capable and actually none of that's true well it my, while it might not be true it is true though that you're looked at differently so so understanding that um because i agree with you like on everything you've just said but but uh, to play devil's advocate, which isn't always popular, but but I'll do it anyway, because that's kind of the point of this show. While all that may be true, it is also true that you will be perceived differently more, more often than not. And understanding why that is the case doesn't prevent that from happening. So, it, you know, just me and let's say, you know, me understanding why my boss might pass me over for the promotion if I'm more open about my mental health issues, let's say, or the struggles I'm going through and things like that. Um, him passing over for, the, for, for that promotion isn't going to prevent that from happening. It's still going to happen. So, so you know, what 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 can individuals do? Do you think to to 
to sort of have their cake and eat it a little bit in that situation because that's the bit that I struggle with. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm laboring this this example as well, by the way, just to give it a bit of context, is because I work and have worked predominantly with a lot of sales in, uh, um, uh, professionals. And in sales especially, um, well, it's, it's the world I know the most, right? So I'm going to use that as the, the example. But but from my understanding, it is, it is definitely the place where you see a lot of mental health issues and an enormous amount of alcohol and drug abuse, uh, you know, working far too much for, for quite often very little reward. Um, but people chasing those big paydays, chasing the promotion, it's very competitive, you know, very cutthroat. And that's where you see that a lot. Those that, that expose any amount of their neck, there's someone that will step over them to get that get that role and that's what it is and you and i agree there's a lot of inherently wrong with the structure there but if we're talking to those individuals how can you have a better sort of balance how can you what what advice can we give them to navigate that in a better way to kind of have their cake and eat a little bit there or can we not is it is the advice uh, there go well, to a better company no we, <laughs> we can totally we can totally uh we can do that i think and it needs to be a two two-pronged approach get out of sales that's the thing. well it needs to be a two-pronged approach i think it first of all you would you need you would need to you know address the leadership of like what's going on because mm. i know those environments from you know when i was like at uni and stuff you know sales things and they and also let's just flip it happy sales people make 37 percent close 37 percent more deals so mm. You need to, I think it's about, you know, addressing leadership and, and and first of all, you know, just giving them some basic, like, you know, fundamentals about mental health and, you know, how, where it's, you know, getting, because also I think it's like when you see, when you put the stigmatization in front of people and you say, this is the reality. So, and you give them an example about that and you say, if somebody came to you with this, how would you treat the situation and normally they'd given a response like you know something that you've just mentioned and then you would sort of say to them well actually that isn't the right way to deal with it and and can you see where your own stigma or you're being influenced by you know that conditioning so it's really kind of getting but could it but could that. it not also just be a, a sensible business decision in some cases, not to, to 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 burden someone more with responsibility and, and additional work and responsibility that might be associated with a promotion at a time where maybe they're, they're quite vulnerable and they think that they want it and that they could do it, but actually making a decision to give it to someone who's at a better place in their life, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so there's yeah, but it, it kind but of works both ways, the, right? Well, yeah, but it's about the support, I think, you know, if, if someone right, right. who, who was super struggling, but also just because you have a condition doesn't mean to say that you're struggling. You can manage, you know, I might have depression, but I can manage it myself. Doesn't mean to say that I can't handle the pressures of another job. But if, you... my, if my manager's aware of it and I can have reasonable adjustments or Something maybe can someone can support me. Mm. So it's not about just saying, oh, well, that person's this, then, you know, they can't possibly manage that. Because also, you know, that's us making a call on whether someone can manage something. And that's right. not so really then everyone's point. making assumptions at that point. Yeah, and nothing, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that's yeah about, and that's about the assumptions. So I think it's about, you know, like really unlearning a lot of that oh well this needs if it's this if someone's got this or they're struggling it means they can't do this it's about actually how can we help this person to reach their potential um mm. you know what can we put in place to support them so you know they've just gone through a bereavement i still really want them to get this promotion but i'm going to give them a couple of extra people to ha handle this you know project 
for the first few months and then we'll reassess and, and you know, keep checking in with that person. You know, don't mm. just not give someone something because, some, you know, awfuls happen like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. yes, if they need to take a big amount of time off and it's really affected them so they can't work, that's a completely different story. Mm. But I think mm. what we need to be aware of is that those decisions and those assumptions that we're making can actually make somebody even more unwell because we're taking away their agency mm. and, you know, their ability to make choices and it it really you know it wears down at somebody's self-belief and then I think yeah. for the actual sales people you know if you're in that environment first of all if that culture is toxic then you need to get out because it's never going to change and it's actually just going to make you more unwell mm. but if there if it's not necessarily the culture and it's just maybe some patterns that you've learned that you think you need to kind of continue with the pace of it would be really about sort of I would sort of suggest initially of like getting somebody to really sort of like give themselves a bit of an energy audit or like a happiness audit like where you know how do I feel on these 10 things like what's my sleep how much sleep am I getting a week like how many hours am I working a week you know what how do I actually feel like what is going on with me and then once you become aware that you're not happy because the other sad thing is that when we're not really that happy we get used to feeling like that it's called mm. you know learn helplessness so we just sort of get used to feeling yeah. like this is the same thing that's going to keep happening to me and then it sort of a, is a perpetual cycle that just sort of yeah, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways self-fulfilling prophecy so it, in order to be able to change or to notice that our well-being is as is low and that doesn't mean, you know, we're not going out to exercise, you know, every, you know, holistically, our mental health, so our, our emotional, you know, we're not, we're not really interacting with people, we're drinking too much, we're smoking too much, whatever those things are for you personally, the first step is becoming aware of, firstly, I don't feel great. Mm. Um, I, and what do what where 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 is my energy going like you know really reflecting on kind of you know the the sort of foundational things that make us feel good yeah where am I on that scale and if you know I am super stressed if I'm really not good you know wh how can I start to to make some incremental slight changes in my behaviors and my habits and my mindset to really shift that mm. and you know start to to because to, we always uh, that's another thing that I, I think is really important to mention is that everybody always has a choice in how they choose to show up for themselves and how mm. they choose to you know handle good situations bad situations you know how they choose to care for themselves to support themselves a lot of the reasons that people's well-being becomes really affected is through lack of boundaries especially at work so you know is is really like doing an assessment around where's my energy going where's my time going am I giving more than I'm you know if I'm not filling my own cup then you know I'm not really going to be any use to anybody but also you know I'm really like doing myself a disservice here and the only way that I'm going to be able to recharge my energy is if I start kind of like pulling a bit of it back and mm. you know really kind of looking like I if I want to have a different experience you know I can't keep re repeating the same pattern and expecting a different result I think Einstein coined that it's it's madness you know mm. so it's really about you know just because I think the biggest thing in well-being is just becoming more as, as self-aware as you possibly can and really kind of looking at 
you know, your thoughts, like our thoughts influence so much. If we're having negative thoughts all day, we're not going to be having a great experience of life. If we're, mm. you know, not looking after our bodies, if we're not sleeping, if we're eating badly, if we're, you know, drinking loads or like whatever it is, you know, we all know the things that we all do that aren't good for us and we all know the things that we do that are good for us so it's really about you know just checking in with yourself and just thinking gosh especially like let's let's for instance talk about those sales people in that toxic environment they're living that life experience do you, do you still want to be living this in an, a year's time and if you don't then how can you start to make changes in your life that mm. You know, either keep you in that environment, but you are able to keep balanced and feel good, or you know, is it time to get out of it? Yeah, yeah, and that's what I did. I got out. It wasn't good for me, so I got out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion, and look, this is just going to be me, like saying it in a really dumb way, because you clearly know this sort of stuff way more than I do. But this is like my dumb brain sort of translating it, and you know, kind of saying my thoughts about it. But like, I, I'm of the opinion that there's a, a there's like a, a certain amount of shit that we can take, uh, like an acceptable level of shit we can take, and then an unacceptable level of shit we yeah, can yeah, take yeah, right yeah. before it crushes us. And like, I think there's you know there there is a certain amount of shit we can take though, importantly, and still function and be pretty happy actually in our lives. And I think that's another important thing. To, to, to sort of bear in mind too, that you're not going to eradicate the amount of shit you get because you're no. always going to get shit. But if you have your your shit in order, I've said the word shit a lot, it's a good thing we can swear on this. If you have your shit in order, then you can take a surprisingly large amount of it, right? Because I'm distinctly aware of the fact as well that there are a lot of people that have not as much choice as maybe you or I have in terms of who their employee is, right? They, they don't have as many choices there. Um, for whatever reason. And, you know, you work with, with ex-offenders as an example. There's a lot of people out there who have to take it when it comes and, you know, don't don't have as much choice to say, like like with the example of some, the sales uh, salespeople, you know, just go, right, screw this, I'll go and work somewhere else. And even then, you know, now that it's more and more competitive environment everywhere. So actually making that decision can be quite hard. So if you have your own life in order to a point where, you know, you can you can come into a shit job and still smile and walk out with a smile on your face and go, it doesn't matter. It was, I'm leaving it there. You know, I think that's quite a big win uh, in the grand scheme of things. If you're unable mm -hmm. to make that a, 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 a change, at least right now, it might be a good temporary solution. <laughs> yeah. Well, what you're talking about there is resilience, which, you know, if we essentially, can, yeah. If we can all build and foster resilience in ourselves, then yeah, we can bounce back from adversity and we can be, you know, maybe in places that, maybe aren't that beneficial for us and, and mm. attached but actually that's a process too and and that's right, a way yeah. of changing your mindset of being able to reframe things in terms of you know not looking at the negative because also the only other the only other thing as well that happens with that is that we sort of get to a, a, a sort of tolerance point where you know if we're constantly being attacked with negativity then mm. eventually even if we are quite positive that's going to affect us so yeah yeah resilience is sort of you know really building that kind of muscle within you that allows you to be able to because it's all about how we perceive things as well you know mm. so really kind of being able to reframe you know where 
when something maybe that happens that is a challenge we look at it and say well what did I learn from that and like how did right. I grow from that experience rather than being like oh my god why does all why does everything always happen to me and you know right. it's yeah like looking at it from a sort of victim mentality we we look at it from a like a growth men mentality of like you know what did we learn like how can I go forward and not repeat this experience again like what you know what did how did I contribute or did I contribute to what happened? You know what's really interesting about you saying that is that what I've what I've noticed is, um, and you you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, if, if I've got the wrong perception, but in speaking to some of the corporations that I've worked with, clients, founders, and so on, who've, who've spoken to other um, uh, wellness coaches, consultancies out there, mostly in the States, there seems to be a focus for encouraging people to become aware of their victim state. That seems to be the way that they're approaching a lot of this, is encouraging people to, so say for example, you do come across quite a resilient individual who does look at things through that prism that you've just mentioned there, of looking at everything as a learning opportunity, okay, how could I improve and so on. That, that, that their approach seems to be, no, you shouldn't have had to have gone through that. And actually changing their mind their mindset from that to the victim mentality and saying that is actually more important. And and I'm noticing, yeah, that's just that's just the trend that I've noticed um, with, with with some mostly larger <laughs> larger firms out there that um and, and it seems to be a I believe a slightly worrying trend. And one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you is because when we first spoke, mm -hmm. I recognized that that wasn't at all your approach, which is very refreshing because mm -hmm. I was getting a bit concerned with that being a trend. Have you noticed maybe some competitors or some talk around that in in your industry and if so like where do you think that's coming from yeah I mean I haven't noticed it so much actually I mean I do think it's something that we we all need to be aware of if I'm really honest because mm. I do think that we do we all have the ability to feel victimized yeah you know sometimes yes it's it's worthy of feeling that but also if if we have if we have a belief that bad things are going to happen to us and that you know everything's against us then we're it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy as well yeah, it's inevitable yeah. at that point isn't yeah, it yeah it's inevitable yeah. so i think you know it but is it feels like it's the philosophy that underpins what you do in some ways actually what you just said there like it really resonates because it, it is like two opposing philosophies it's almost like you know communism versus democracy it's like you know it's like you know one is all about me and one is all about everyone else you know what what, what one is what can everyone do for me and the other is what can i do for everyone else and it's yeah. kind of like you know it's it's very it's very interesting because it feels like a lot of of organizations similar to yours operate on this very different philosophy mm. And I think inevitably that yields, it, while it seems quite insignificant, it can yield, yield far more uh, different results, um, totally. societally, let alone in an organisation. Yeah, and I think it is about looking at the we, you know, it's, you know, we're all part of something that comes to get, you know, we, especially in an organisation, we're all, all, all sums parts of the whole, aren't we? And, we so we we have personal responsibility of course that like everybody has responsibility for their own self and for their own behaviors and you know for their own actions but we also have to understand like how we influence that as an organization and actually you know how do we create the foundations for people to flourish like 
you know, a lot of those old ways of working, because also, you know, work hasn't really evolved much in the last 100 years. Yeah. You know, it's starting to evolve now. But even, I mean, it's quite interesting even watching the sort of like debacle about kind of, you know, organisations wanting people to come back into the office full time. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm hearing that a lot, like big organisations that I work with, they're like, oh, yeah, we're telling everybody they need to come back in the office all the time. And it's like, oh, well, why? You know, where's that flexibility of, yes, maybe we need to be in the office certain days together as a team but actually if my my people are going to be more productive and their well-being is going to be better because they haven't got commute for two hours a day then mm. you know why are we being flexible about that and so I think there's just so there's so much kind of like re yeah just unlearning and redesigning things that we just need to do as a society to be honest yeah no I agree how yeah. and I and I do think resilience is one of those skills that you know we, we can learn it's something that we can actually really learn so i'll give can it, it can it be learned though or does it through through being taught or can it only be learned through experience because i personally believe it can only be learned through experience no see well there's the, there's a difference there and that's based on positive psychology or the science of positive psychology so if you think i'll give you an example of an optimist right so you think that um, or, or we've traditionally been taught that you're either pessimistic or optimistic, right? And if mm. you're, and if you're optimistic, it's like, oh, you're born with it, and yeah, nothing's that black and white. <laughs> nothing's that black and white. <laughs> no. and, and actually, optimistic people are more resilient because they don't look at, you know, they don't they look at the glass glass half full as opposed to the pessimist who looks at the glass half empty. But what you have in a workplace is you probably have a 50-50 split down the middle of pessimistic. Mm people and optimistic people and it's no fault of their own you know either either way it's just kind of you know what you've if we also think about our brains having a negativity bias I think it's like 70% we have a negativity bias or something that might not be well, I think it's just human beings as a whole from my understanding yeah, so we, yeah well that's what I mean it's no I, what I was talking about the brain has a 70% more oh right thinking to the negative so all human beings have a negativity bias now mm. that's because our kind of programming system hasn't really upgraded in the last well since we've been on the planet so yeah. our limbic system which is what activates your flight and flight response is looking for threats all the time so of course you're going to be looking like you're prone to the negativity bias because you're always going to be looking at you know survival safety you know running away from um a dinosaur if you were alive back then or whatever whatever it was that were, yeah. were the threats but to you know modern society our brains haven't evolved to distinguish running out of coffee and being chased by a you know a shark like it's the same thing so <laughs> well yeah <laughs> maybe maybe two extreme examples what i'm trying to say is the brain has the same response right right in yeah. terms of like well, and, and that's where anxiety and depression are, uh you know such issues with modern society is because of a lot of fight flight and re uh flight and uh fight responses are being triggered yeah with with very mundane things and that's yeah. causing a, a huge amount of chemical imbalance Totally, and the workplace is obviously a playground. For that. Hugely, yeah, yeah, hugely. So, um, so what were we talking about? Back to so back to the optimist. So, you can um, change the way you think to mm. become more optimistic. So, there's a way to do that around reframing situations. So, we when we were talking about kind of resilience. So, mm. when you look at um, you know, 
a, a perceived negative experience, you reframe it and you say, well, what could I learn? There's like, there's many different techniques that you can use. But mm. A friendly reminder to share this episode with your network, subscribe for more and join the conversation in the comments. It really helps us out. Thank you. A gratitude practice is also one of those. Now, people think, oh, gratitude practice is really fluffy, like whatever. It's actually scientific. But it's about rewiring, isn't it's it? Scientifically proven to rewire, rewire your neural pathways. So if you're mm. somebody who does tend to, you know, notice the negative and also is having, because they're noticing the negative or having more a negative experience of life or, you know, they don't feel as happy, you know, they feel like life's a struggle, things are really tough, I'm not you know, happy, why don't things work out for me? Like all those kind of belief systems that operate from somebody who is kind of having that experience. Whereas you have the optimist who will have challenges because optimism isn't about toxic positivity either. It's about, you know, being able to ride the highs and lows of life. You know, being human's messy. Like mm. it is ups and downs. Like some sometimes you'll be, you know, driving down a nice country road sun's out it's all lovely and then in a split second you can be in a horrific thunderstorm yeah yeah you know it, it just that's what life is so an optimist will approach life in a different way of even you know those times being able to come it's like well you know there's there's three kind of things you can do is like well what what can i accept in this moment like what can't i do anything about like mm. what can I accept what can I control in this moment like what wh where's my agency of being able to do something and then and then the third one which is a really important one is like what can I let go of because mm. ultimately we're not going to be able to solve all problems we can't rewind something and do it again differently if it you know maybe we can for some things but mo most things we can't so yeah. if you can kind of look at every life circumstance especially challenging ones in those ways you know what can I let go of is the biggest one what what do I need to accept in this situation so say for instance you know you're losing your job well if you if you resist that and you just constantly keep worrying about it and think well you know is there a way I can change there or you know you're just you're consumed by thoughts of that it's not helping you you know mm. you're you're going more sort of down into the rumination and the stress and the anxiety and the depression and but if you're able to kind of say well I, I have to accept that's just happened I can't do anything about it what can I control you know how can I get a new job what do I need to do like what are the actions I can take you know can I work you know, is there someone I know who can give me a job? Like, whatever that is, I'm just using that as an example. That's a great example, though, because if I know people who have, obviously, loads of people who have been in those situations. So it's a really relatable one. I've been in that situation before. And there is a, definitely a huge difference, I've noticed, in um, in the sort of those that take the optimistic approach compared to the pessimistic approach when it comes to the correlation between that and those that are likely to more likely to find a ne the next job. And not, not only is it, you know, maybe there's some relative relation there between sort of 
hireability in the optimists are probably you know probably conduct interviews better well probably perform better well you know interviews and so on and maybe they you know come across as more likable whatever but ignoring that i think the correlation actually just comes down to how they deal with it because even in very very simple terms you know if someone's going to throw a hissy fit when they get, lose their job and they're going to make things difficult for their employer you know to get them out the door and not return property or you know not not do the exit interview or just generally be a nuisance well the employer's not going to help them with anything else but actually nine times out of ten the, the more positive and optimistic individuals myself included by the way i put my put myself into that camp we're just like okay it is what it is i don't necessarily agree with it but i don't have to you know i respect your decision leave amicably leave with your head held high every single time the you know almost every single time the ex-employers will help make some connections and like do you know what i mean it's like yeah. you know it it, it goes a long way because like you said, positivity breeds positivity. And so actually you're giving yourself more opportunities for success if you just, you know, accept things and move on and try and make the best out of them. Yeah, totally. so that's a great example, I think. Oh, because good. there's so many, so many things in there that I just suddenly thought of several mm. people that are just like, you idiot. You know, when I've seen people do it where they're just like making things more difficult mm. for themselves and everyone else in that situation, it's like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Like what yeah. what 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 point are you trying to make just accept it you know and leave on a positive note because you're burning bridges you know you just yeah. never know what, what what you're missing out on by mm -hmm. squandering the opportunities just for a small amount of satisfaction for being yeah. negative for what exactly you know? but then you know some people where they're used to being so negative it's like they the they're default. almost addicted to the cortisol yeah. and that's something yeah. as well is to to look at and address and, and you know thank god you know if you kind of look track your life experience in the last three months and you kind of look at you know what's been happening in my life and mm. oh gosh yeah lots of drama lots of whatever why is that happening and you know why am i being attracted to those situations and then you know then start to kind of look at that frame around you know what can i let go of like what can i control what do i need to accept and how can i you know be more intentional about my thoughts like you know i i remember when many years ago so about 14 12 13 years ago when i was having really really difficult issues with my mental health and i was you know trying everything and and i just realized like how my thought patterns had become very very negative mm like you know not just my thought patterns but like my beliefs about myself and I just sort of started to think well if I don't change this and if I don't start to kind of and I never was like that before it was because you know a circumstance and then you know mental health illness and then the the kind of reverberations of that um but then you start to learn these patterns and they become you you become very used to them so i started to and it, and it was when i sort of started to meditate actually that i was able to draw awareness because my my brain like most people's was just completely on autopilot i think the average person there's lots of different things if you look on the internet because you know what the internet's like but i think mm. they say between sixty thousand to ten thousand i think it's more probably like ten thousand thoughts a day so if you think you have ten thousand thoughts a day it's 70 percent of those thoughts are negative so they might not be <clears throat> downright you know glaringly obviously negative but even just sort of you know self-talk to yourself like oh why haven't you done that or oh gosh you should have done this or you're always late or whatever it is that you how you talk to yourself mm. you know those things make 
a, a real impact. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I only, I only have about 50 thoughts a day, so you know, ignorance is bliss. I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, well there's always <laughs> that, and I started to kind of realize through meditation, I started to become a bit more more aware of my own thought patterns, and I right. thought, and I started to see, gosh, you're like that's that's another negative thought that's another negative thought and, and mm. i just started to see them and i actually used to play this game with myself in the beginning where i used to have like this electric fence around my brain and every time i had a negative thought i just like fry it on the fence and then it sort of became like funny and mm. just i then didn't then i i kind of got out of the habit of beating myself up about having negative thoughts and just was mm. like you know, I'm not attaching to the fact that I'm having a negative thought. I'm observing it and I'm choosing to let it go rather before I was like holding on to it, you know, and mm. or it would it had just become habitual for me to think negatively. So once I sort of started to do that and, you know, things started within a couple of weeks, things started to really shift in like my mind because I was like more in control of like what I'm actually thinking. And I want to go even a little bit deeper here now as well and talk about this. Japanese scientist, um, which I can't remember the name of now, but again, I'll put, I'll, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the chat. Now he did these fascinating experiments with water. So if you think the hu a human being is made up of 70% water, so he did these fascinating experiments where he got a glass of water and he put love, like the name of some emotions, on the water, and he got some school children to all think thoughts of love and direct it at this water, and then he froze the water and was able to get the structure like the structure and it was like a beautiful snowflake like all symmetrical like really beautiful and then he sort of went a bit of a step further and he and he did different emotions so that i think it was like love gratitude compassion and they're all different shapes which is just absolutely fascinating i vaguely remember did you mention this to me before when we i first think spoke? i probably I, I do talk about yeah this. yeah i vaguely remember you mentioning this before and i think i even went to look it up and i, I, I honestly can't remember if I've yeah, I'll, I'll the, name. Yeah. The, the name escapes me right now but um yeah. and then he did the experiments with hey and playing like death metal and like what happened to the water and the structures were all like deformed and like they just had a really weird like energy about them yeah, so see, you, death metal can be quite relaxing sometimes <laughs> so if you if you think you're made up of 70 percent water and that yeah. experiment proves that you know, thoughts affect matter. So if you're 70% water and you think negative thoughts or you just even perceive yourself negatively, what's that doing to this, the structures in your body? Mm. So, you know, there's so there's so many more layers. But, but to, yeah, and but to your point, even <clears throat> disregarding that piece on its own, it's enough just to, to understand that, you know, neural pathways get, get um, you know, built um, and your your brain starts getting used to certain states, right? Like you mentioned about your experience, like, you know, um, you know, 13, 14 odd years ago, you mentioned earlier, you know, I was in a similar position um, not that long ago as well, about seven or eight, yeah, about eight or nine years ago, um, in, a, in a very abusive relationship at the time. And, you know, during that point, you know, you, you sort of slip into it mm -hmm. very gradually and you just don't realize you're there. And again, as an optimistic person, it, it, even people saying you don't seem yourself, you mm -hmm. seem a lot more, um, negative than used to be. You're just like, no, I'm still me, and it, you, you're completely oblivious to it because your brain is very slowly um, starting to take on board. Yeah, and and you start believing the things that you're being told, and and you start convincing yourself of those things you're told. So even without that other element, 
which you know some people you know may or may not buy into but regardless of that you don't even need that to back up your point it's it's the science is already well proven there that yeah, totally. you can you can very easily slip into like you said be, be, being addicted to some ways of these chemicals but but also just not being not having that that um that ability to step outside yourself and, and have a critical look and I think that's why self-awareness is, is so crucial because without yes. self-awareness, yeah. you know, you're just functioning on autopilot and you, you're not even, yeah. you know, not even realising that probably life is a bit mediocre and that you're not actually that happy, but you're just so used to it that you don't, you don't know anything different. And yeah, and I, and I think people conflate something. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I think people conflate self-awareness as well with, with what other people think about them. No. People conflate those things together. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, no. Self-awareness doesn't mean think about how you're being perceived. Self-awareness is just about, you know, what do you what do you believe of your own perception? You know, mm. it, it, it's it's very different. And I don't think people a lot of people misunderstand that when you're saying, you know, you know, you don't seem self-aware. It's like, oh, well, I don't care what other people think about me. It's like, yeah. no, 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 no. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's a bit more than that. Yeah, and I think obviously other people can be mirrors. Like you know, people can maybe reflect things to you that maybe you're not you are not aware of about yourself as well. Mm. So I think you know, self awareness is about going within too. But we can be assisted in that process of becoming more self aware by the way that other people interact with us too. So I think yeah. that is something to be sort of cognizant of and kind of understanding you know people keep walking all over you then you need to have a like reflection on you know why that is like you know well, it's like we we're saying there's the, it's the difference between the, that that underlying um philosophy of of you know are you a victim you know yeah. um why is this happening to me versus you know well you know what can i do to change it and and you know it, it is the power in me or is the, is it in, in in other people and yeah you're absolutely right in that situation like for example for me well i'd allowed it to happen and the reason I the reasons I had allowed it to happen and get to that point was because of what I wanted out of it. My motivations for being in that relationship were wrong, right? And and you know my, you know all sorts of other things. And once I started picking that apart and like you said, having that self awareness, I realised that, that the control was in in my hands. Yes, the blame was also on that other person for how they were they were treating me, but I'd allowed that to happen That's and enabled and enabled them to do that. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I, you know that was my my fault. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I had to take responsibility for my part of that. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, we just. I think you know, we're just all so complex, and there's just so many mm. factors that influence all of us at any one time. And we're a mess, aren't we? Us, yeah. Well, I think people. we're like a a, a good mess. <laughs> yeah. I. I Hot mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I view it in the same way that I, because I'm fascinated by things to do with the cosmos and the universe and so on. And there's a, what always fascinates me about about space, about the universe, is is how it's seemingly a chaotic structure that that over time has has formed um, order, right? And that's the beautiful thing about physics and about the universe as a whole is that you know through every given enough time, every chaotic structure begins to form uh, to to become orderly. Um, and then it seems also quite cyclical in that eventually order becomes chaos and so on and so on. And that's very much how I view uh, a life. Yeah, you know, totally. that, 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 you know, throughout our life, you know, when you're first brought into the world, it's complete mayhem. Right? Yeah. Like we've got a newborn running around at the moment and it's just like, but then you can start seeing the order come in. 
and it's like we're making sense of things and there will be another shift and another shift and another shift as new chemicals are introduced into the body either from consuming them or from you know hormones in the body and as it changes and there will be shifts in chaos chaos and and order as it goes throughout and the experiences that they have and that's just the way it is right and we're constantly evolving and we can choose to be conscious and we can choose to stop being that and we can choose to kind of move beyond the limitations that we might find ourselves in or we can choose to stay stuck and i think that that's you know where choice comes in again you know the, the amazing thing about being human is that we have free will so we always have you know the ability to you know change things and you and you look at some people out there like some amazing people that have you know turned you know hideous circumstances into you know almost like unbelievable success because mm. of their mindset because of the choices that they made and, mm. and i think we should all be inspired by those you know role models am- among us and you know within our networks you know outside of our networks you know there's there's plenty of people that you can look towards to yeah to think wow well if they can do it you know i can do it yeah not not that's the optimistic way not the pessimistic way of if they can do it why can't i do it yeah (laughs) which seems to be yeah it's all it's all about your mindset and and, and it all comes back to you know that those two words which i think are so important is self-belief because if you believe in yourself then you are capable Mm. of doing anything you know you are you, you have the power, but if you don't believe in yourself for whatever reason, it's time to start unpicking that and seeing, you know, where that stems from and like how you can, you know, start to believe in yourself. You know, where can you become more confident? You know, where can you start? Like my journey of starting to feel better was just little steps. You know, what, what do I, what can I do? Because you forget yourself. I think when you're in those sort of, you know, depths of mental health, despair and those challenges you, you mm. know you even you know I just felt like I didn't even have a personality like I just yeah. didn't have a conversation with anybody like I had nothing to offer and you know you just you've lost yourself lose this sense of self and so it was like yeah. for me it was my journey back to self of like how can I find myself again mm. like you know what do I actually like what what makes me smile what makes me laugh like what what do I enjoy and then I set myself on a quest of like once a month I would go and do something on my own that I'd never done before to try it out like some of the things I was like oh god this is hideous this is like really uncomfortable and other things I was like I really like this and this is fun and but every time I did it I had to face my fears you know I had to face my fear of you know first of all doing something on my own when I didn't feel confident when I mm. did lack that kind of you know sense of self that I had before and just you know seeing like every time I did it it just got easier and and then you know before I knew it I was feeling you know back to myself but even be- better than how I felt before I think it was you know this constant you know, I think as founders, everybody can probably relate to this as well. It's like, you know, my brother has this tattoo and I always thought, why did you get that? Like, it's fall down seven times, get up eight, it's a Chinese proverb. And I always thought, it's such a shit tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm like, I totally get it because, you know, life is about constantly falling down and getting up again. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the less time you spend laying down on the floor, you know, why did this happen to me? And, you know, things are unfair but like actually 
okay that didn't work what can i do this time and and you know and, just... and it's very easy to be in that position on the floor and just if you know <laughs> that you're going to constantly be falling down on the floor to think well why bother standing up i might yeah. as well just stay here because if this is my natural state life is trying to tell me this is where i belong but that's not the point of life like no. and life really telling i think as well it's about reframing again life isn't really telling you that either life is telling right. you life is saying okay well you know you need to grow you need to evolve like you're doing the same thing respecting expecting the same result yeah you, know, you, you you know you're not things aren't going to change if you you do that and that's why you keep falling over <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and so exactly. i think i really like to now like use that as my mantra like if ever, you know when things i say if ever when when things happen that are challenging and that do knock you back a bit i just sort of think to myself yeah fall down seven times get up hey it's just yeah, like, yeah. it's just life you know and if you want to succeed and you want to you know create something that's going to have legacy and you have a vision you know you can't just you know fall down at the first hurdle and and not and not try again because your vision's not that solid is it if you do that you know if, if you're wanting to do something that makes a difference to other people particularly i think that's something that really for me keeps me going is like mm. well you know this is bigger than me it's not it's not really about me and and you know yeah i've had a knock here or a knock there and i just get back up and just keep going and eventually i know that you know something will happen that will make me glad that i didn't give up I think there's definitely um, a lot of comfort to be found in altruism and stoicism um, as well for people, things for people to look into. But like what you said about you forcing yourself to go off and do something that you've not done before and different. I think that, that from my understanding, there's been a lot of um, study on the psychology of that. I think it was originally based in people taking gap years and traveling and so on. And like the effects that it has on people's sort of psychology and 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 even their their sort of brain chemistry, and it's been proven without you know without a shadow of a doubt that people being entered into uncertain situations is nothing but beneficial. Oh, like yeah. if you're if you're afraid of public speaking, go and do Just some public do it, speaking. Yeah. You're afraid of of socialising with people, force yourself to go yeah. and socialise. Doing things that we're afraid to do or, or uncomfortable doing is proven without a shadow of a doubt to be incredibly beneficial and it doesn't have to be you jump straight into the deep end it could be you know you work your way up to it you know similar to what you mentioned about getting out of that that sort of hole that you found yourself in same with me it was like yeah i sometimes you you can't move because the 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 journey seems so long seems so far and you're just like well there's no point i'm never gonna make it like i'm never gonna have that life i once had or the life like that person or whatever but like that isn't the point no. the point is like at least take <sighs> one positive step towards that mm. and still better than it was five minutes ago and it's the same mm. with this kind of thing it's like terrified to socialize with people start small yeah. you know meet meet someone <laughs> halfway speak to them online you know there's always there's always a way to get there you know and also for full transparency, this is my therapy. Oh, like, good. Honestly, this yeah. is this is why I chose to do this. Is like you saying about going out there and doing different things. I have learned over the years what I need in order to thrive is stimulating conversation. Yeah. That's what I need with different exciting people. I was brought up in a household where, and I've said this several times on this show, I was brought up, I was very fortunate. I was brought up in quite a large household before my mom and dad split up. We were very, very lucky. 
And we always had at least four or five foreign students living with us at any one time. This was back home in Oxford. So at the dinner table, we'd always be like 10 people, different cultures, different nationalities, different religions, different languages. And so for me, I was brought up on conversation as the way of you know, sharing ideas and, and exploring and, and, all, and all of the beautiful things that I think conversation brings. And, and I realized that some years ago, so in order to come back to myself and who I am, I need to bring that back into my life. And just having quite a solitary life, working from home, running my own business, I need to find a way of doing that. And wow. I was doing that with clients and meeting prospective clients and so on. I was like, I'm enjoying this. Mm. How can I keep doing this? And this yeah. is where the show was born, but really. Amazing. I love that. I love that story. And I can really see that, you know, you're, you're very um, easy to talk to and very interested in other people. It's a nice way of saying I don't shut up. What I really resonate with you as well is that you're just really interested in, you know, finding out about people. That mm. really comes across. It's not like it doesn't it's not contrived. It's re- very natural and, and also oh, thank makes, you. I appreciate it. makes people want to open up to you. But I was gonna give two little gems there while you were talking. I just sort of thought of two things. One thing is to kind of try to base every day on how can I feel good today? So what can you do in that day, whether it's for half an hour, an hour, however, in your schedule, but what can you do to feel good? So it's just one thing that you can promise yourself that you're going to feel good and don't not do it. So promise yourself, right, I'm going to go for a walk after work or I'm going to buy my favourite ice cream on the way home or, you know, I'm going to make myself go to this or whatever it is, but just stick to that promise. And if you can do that every day, again, with, within a very short amount of time, you're going to start to feel much, much better. And I, I'm, I'm assuming within reason, right, in, in terms of, like, making sure we make healthy choices there. Yeah, making sure okay. we're making healthy choices. Okay, yeah. good. And, and, <laughs> I was going to say, otherwise, every every morning, if you have spoken to me when I was a teenager, it would have been, right, every morning, right, I'm getting high. That, yeah. <laughs> that makes me happy. I'm getting stoned. Like. And the other thing that I was going to say about fear is fear is we should look at fear in a different way see i believe that fear is where the gold lies so whatever you're afraid of go towards Mm. and when you go towards it and you do it you will realize that it's actually something that you really enjoy but you have had this kind of belief system or whatever it is around. I think it's also a telltale sign. Whatever you're afraid of is something you should be doing. I always think that whatever you're afraid of is something around to do with your life purpose. Mm -hmm. So it's really about like facing that fear. And you'll find that when you face that fear and you start to do those things, that resistance falls away in like other areas of your life. Because that one thing that you've been fearful of has been the direction that you should be going so that yeah that's just a little um yeah i agree it it reframes fear as a whole and reframes Mm -hmm. anxiety which is closely related to that um and that's the big issue isn't it anxiety that that underpins a lot of problems yeah does does for me fear-based thinking thoughts are us projecting into the future of you know well if i do this or and most most of the time it's it's around us probably not feeling good enough to do whatever it is that we're right. afraid of doing like i'm not qualified enough i'm not I'm going to fail i'm i'm going to fail i don't know enough like you know they're better than me or 
they know more than me. And I'm so very well known for, for saying uh, the sentence um, on this show and also when speaking to people that you should aim to be shit at something before aiming to be good at something. Oh, yeah, and we're totally be shit everything. When we yeah, and like that. And that, and I think that's a pretty good aim to have. Like, if, if you're going to do something for the first time, then just, you know, aiming, not like purposefully, but like the point being, you know, just accept the fact that you're going to do it. But at least if you have the goal of aiming to be shit for it, then you've completed the first goal. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's it like, like, yay, I was shit at this. Yeah. Like, yeah, just think of it like a computer game, you know, when you first pick up something and you're not very good at it and you right, yeah, very, yeah. keep crashing on the first level. And then, you know, eventually bit of practice makes perfect and, yeah. and you get the hang of it and I think just just I, I think as well recognizing you know perfectionism is such a joy hubra because <laughs> yeah. you, know, you if no nothing's going to be perfect because my perception of perfection is going to be different from yours so mm -hmm. you know we I think we put so much kind of stuff on ourselves to be perfect or society makes us believe that we've got to be perfect and I think this is a lot around well-being as well that how mm. people don't want to speak up is because of you know all of this conditioning that we have and you know especially in the workplace it becomes you know magnified so it's just sort of really around like checking in with yourself like am I being a perfectionist here does it really do I really need to spend another three hours doing this or is it actually okay mm. now and can I just you know deliver it and not just okay it's probably great but you're you know you're thinking it needs to be different so you know just get it out there and you know learn everything's an experiment and sometimes you're going to put something out there and it's going to be successful and other times it might not be so successful but that should never stop you from and you do, you do something often enough and it might very well get close to your yeah. idea of perfection but it probably won't be initially for sure no, yeah. Totally. yeah very very relevant um thing to say especially considering like the vast majority of the people that listen to this are startup founders and you yeah. know and, and in that situation it's it's time isn't on your side people ruminate for too long they try and strive for yeah, perfection yeah, yeah. and that the 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 winning combination is usually yeah. get it out give yeah. it to people get people using it get people's you know response then because if you know that you can you can building something in a vacuum coming up with a business idea in a vacuum until you've actually gone out there and spoken yeah, to your prospective right. clients yeah, exactly. pointless completely pointless, pointless as you as you know you know so. yeah totally so yeah, yeah just let go of that perfectionism and, and again when it comes to like what you're afraid of just think you know a lot of that kind of projecting thought into the future and into the past just you know it doesn't mean anything it's just like mm. well just try it and you know i i think meetups are really great to you know test mm. out your fears or something like that because you yeah. can go to something you can you know face a fear that no one knows you've got a fear about and then if you do do something that you're you know say that you I don't know say it's a public speaking thing or you you're doing some improv or, you know you're you're one of your fears is facing doing stand-up comedy or something can you go to a thing and you say a really shit joke and you feel really humiliated you never have to fucking go back there excuse yeah. me <laughs> no it's true but also it's this 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 perception that people care about us way more than than we care about ourselves um, as well like yeah. you know the harsh reality is people don't really care no. like <laughs> you, know, you tell a shit joke and the crowd goes boo yeah. They forgot about it five yeah, years they, later. Yeah, they moved on with their lives. It's yesterday's newspaper. Right. Because so. everyone's focused on themselves. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. So, you know, people the people aren't that interested as much as we are about ourselves. And yeah. That's an important perception to have. It's like, you know, we spend more energy and attention on ourselves than anyone else. 
Like people are all doing the same thing. Like it's the same thing I tell people about putting content out there who are hesitant. Like I work with some founders where I say, you know, you need to start posting, you need to start building some some presence online. And I'm like, oh, but I don't know what to put out there. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, just no start. one gives a shit. Just yeah. start. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's crap, what's gonna happen? They'll look at it, they'll go, oh, that's a bit crap, and then carry on with the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the worst that's going to happen. Yeah, you know. totally. Yeah, so don't don't let that. And I think also when we face the fear and it happens, then it's gone. You know, right? Like, oh, well, that happened. It wasn't that bad. I'm still alive. I'm still me. You know. Yeah. And and tomorrow's another day. <laughs> yeah. We make big deals out of things, so we multi mountains out of molehills all the time. But look, um, we're wrapping up, and and ordinarily at the end, um, I would have asked something for you, for you to for you to say a few words on some something but you already just did it actually which was if you had a couple of tips to give <laughs> um, out there. in a way but but really quickly i guess in one minute because we because I, I do have to jump into another um uh, meeting in a moment but maybe one one last final thought, thought from you we talk more generally about people and how they can deal with the th those things which is you, what you just did there but um very specifically with companies what are some you know simple things that you think that they should be implementing asap in order to to create a better working environment for their employees oh that off the top of my head um, yeah maybe just one 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 really big one that they can maybe it's sort of an actionable thing or two yeah, just, or ask your, just ask your people how they are <laughs> simple <laughs> ask them ask how people they are how they are and yeah what what you can do to make their work better fair enough and actually give a shit about the answer i suppose yeah, like and, that, actually, that probably and actually action the answer don't just ask right. like, okay cool yeah whatever mm. <laughs> like the typical british uh um uh introduction like how are you when you really don't care like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah ask with meaning and then you know deliver on on yeah. what you're being told and listen with in intent yeah, yeah listen yeah. with intent yeah no good advice good advice and i wish we had a bit longer to delve into that a bit more but um maybe we'll have to do a part two where we can get yeah. into that in a bit more detail good cool. good excuse to do that <laughs> yeah all right well thank you so much for joining me i really enjoyed talking with you and um and yeah when by the time this releases it's going to be in a little while it won't be soon but by the time this is released um you know hopefully we'd have spoken a bit more and caught up and um yeah i wish you all of the continued success with um with the business Awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. And yeah, I, I look pleasure. forward to chatting to you again soon. Likewise. All right. Take care. Have a wonderful week. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching and or listening. Please like, subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below.